Romans 3, verses 3, 23 through 24. And it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption of the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord add a blessing to his word. Are we good? Can I be heard? Perfect. Happy Sabbath. All right. Um, uh, as Mr. Edge said, my name is Jason. I am a senior at Wisconsin Academy. And uh, we are very glad to be here today. Uh, at least I am. I had never been here before. But uh, very nice church family, very nice church. Um, <clears throat> um, as they were saying, uh, this past week, we recently had a student-led week of prayer. And what that is is basically we have students from our group. Uh, we sort of share different stories from the Bible um, from a specific topic. And the topic we were given for this week was, um, it had to do with the genealogy of Jesus. And what we did was for the five days of the week, we chose five different stories to talk about. And these stories were all centered around the idea that there's five women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. And so um, we had five girls each day, well, one girl each day over the course of five days. We had five girls share on these women that were mentioned and their stories. And in the afternoons, we would have a, a male, a guy, share on the, um, the male that is mentioned in the story. Um, I spoke on Monday... So we, I, t I spoke about the first, well, the story of the first woman that is mentioned in genealogy, which is found in um, Matthew uh, chapter 1. And the first woman that is mentioned is actually Tamar. And for those of you that know the story, this, is, this can be a pretty uh, interesting story, not just to read, but also to teach others about. And so <clears throat> I spoke not on Tamar, but on Judah who was the man in the story. And um, I didn't realize I would have the, 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 the I would, um, how do I say it? I didn't realize I would have the encounter that I did with the story that I ended up having. Um, it was a great blessing to me. Hopefully it was to those that heard it. And um, where do we start with Judah? Because not, not only do I want to get into the story of him and Tamar, but I want to talk about just him as a person. Right? The first time we see him mentioned is in Genesis 25, verse 35, 29, verse 35, where it just talks about his birth. Right? He's Jacob's fourth son that he has with Leah, um, which was one of the wives that he had along with Rachel. But um, Judah is this fourth son of his. And we learn, that, we learn in this chapter that um, the name Judah means praise, or so I found. Um, it means praise which to me was very interesting because after reading his life story and just sort of going across what every, everything that he did and he accomplished, I was like, praise, man. Like, like what, what, is it, what is there to praise about in his story? Like, yes, um, he, changed, he changes, and we're going to get to that, but his life is kind of like, is there really anything to praise for? Like, is, is there anything worth praising? And so, as we see, his, his name is Judah, which translates to praise in Hebrew. 
And I guess uh, the next time he's mentioned in the Bible is actually in, um, during Joseph's betrayal when his brothers decide to, you know, they, they plot this, this, this scheme to just to kill him. But Reuben steps in and says, no, like, there's a ditch. Just throw him in there. Like, come on, guys. He's your brother. And so the next time we see Judah mentioned is in this story. And so when, when you read the story of Joseph, right, this, this, this specific story, you're kind of like, wow. The first, the first thing we see is his name, his name means praise. And the first thing he does in the Bible is not only does he plot along with his brothers to kill one of their own, but um, later on while, while Joseph is in the, in the, the pit, uh, we see that Judah is the one that proposes that they actually sell him because that way they can actually get something out of it. Not only are they, you know, getting rid of their brother, but they're getting money, right? So we see that he's a little bit kind of like a, he's like a, a little bit of a greedy guy. Like he, he's this, this, when I read it, it was like, is that praiseworthy, right? In my mind, it's like, uh, man, this, this name really did not, does not stick. But um, we continue, and after we see this, uh, this story with Joseph, we get to what I spoke about on Monday, which is um, the story with Tamar. Now, when this story occurs in Genesis chapter 38, for those of you that want to follow along, um, I won't read all of it, but um, it goes by pretty quick, so you can just follow along. But in this story in Genesis chapter 38, um, we don't exactly know when this story took place. Um, I read in some places that um, some people think that it occurred before, or the beginning, the beginning of this chapter be, uh, happened before the story with Joseph. So some people think that by the time he had this, this thing with his brothers, that uh, he was already married with kids. Um, in the Bible, it just starts off saying, at that time, in verse 1, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adulam named Hira. So it kind of just says at that time, right? We don't know when that time was. But we, we learn here that, um, actually, I want to back up a little bit. Um, Jacob uh, had traveled to Canaan, right? And that is where they had been living for quite a while. That is where Judah was born on their way there. And uh, so th these people, these children of God, right, grew up in a land where it wasn't necessarily, uh, the idea of God wasn't necessarily accepted. Um, they had kind of grown up with this environment of, of, of malice around them and just not, not so very accepting of a, you know, what we call a Christian worldview today. And so Jacob, growing up in Cana, uh, he, he grows up, um, I, what I, with what I would imagine is like a conflicting thing, right? In his, in his household, he's taught to love God, to, to honor him, to do what is right. But then he, he probably had some friends. I don't know. He can go out with these uh, Canaanite friends, and he's like, oh, what are they doing? Like, that's not what my dad taught me. But, like, who's right? Like, who's in the right here? Am I, am I being taught something that just isn't true? Because literally everything else around me is happening, and it doesn't seem to fit. And so... I guess you could say um, Judah was sort of shaped and molded by his environment and his circumstances because we see that when he grows up, 
he doesn't seem to show this idea of praise. He doesn't really praise God in his actions or with what he, you know, what he says. And um, we see that very clearly in the story of Tamar in chapter 38 because we see that he marries a Canaanite woman. And uh, when he marries her, uh, he has three kids. The first named Er, E-R. The second named Onan, O-N-A-N. And then the third named Shelah. And just from these three verses, you can't really tell how far apart they were. But later on in the story, we can sort of tell that I think Shelah was a little bit um, further down than the, other, the first two. He was a little bit younger than them, quite a bit, actually. But, so, uh, Judah has these kids, right? And with these kids, it seems like their environment of where they live and their influence, the influence of their father, as well as that of what they had around them, seems to also get to them. Because um, uh, when Judah finds this wife for heir, this is his first son, Tamar, we, we read later on, or a little bit down, that Er was an evil man, it says. He was an evil man, and because of that, God took him. So God literally said, you know, you've, I don't know what you've done. Well, I don't know what he's done. God did. God did know. And he saw him and was like, yeah, I think, I think that's it for you. You know, we're going to have to uh, put, you, put you aside for a while. And so... Um, when this happens, er, so Er dies, right? Tamar is left a widow. And so uh, according to the customs, the, the, one, uh, the one down, right, the sibling down would receive or I guess marry the woman that was widowed. And so Judah tells Onan, his second son, hey, go marry Tamar because, I mean, your first brother died. Like, we, we need to have children in the family, please, like, you know, I, I, I can't let this family die. So, you know, marry, marry Tamar, and then we'll go from there. Well, Onan, I guess, also being um, from Cana, he uh, also adopts all of this, this malice and evil. And he says, all right, I'll marry her, sure. So he gets married with Tamar. But we see here that he doesn't give her children. And the reason is because um, with, if he were to have children with Tamar, the inheritance of Judah, which we could say wasn't that much because he was the fourth son, not the first. So being the fourth son, uh, Judah just had to take what he could. And Onan, being Judah's son, was like, well, I can't let anything go to waste. Like, please, I need, I need that inheritance, right? Because if I have a child with Tamar, that kid is going to get everything, not me. Like, I'm, I'm irrelevant in this, in this picture. So you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to um, marry Tamar, uh, but I don't want to have children with her because it, it's... It's, it's, you know, I, I want to keep things for myself. And God saw this. God saw this, this uh, evil, right? This, this plot to also be greedy. And what did God do? He also, you know, kill, he killed him. 
And so by now, it's almost like um, you can see this from, this from like two different perspectives. Judah is like, dude, my sons are dying off. Like, what is happening? All because they're marrying this woman, like, right? That, that's probably what he had in his mind, not realizing that the reason they were dying was because they weren't doing God's will. And so we, see, we have Judah probably thinking, I got to stay away from this woman, right? The, the, the right thing to do would probably give her, be like, give her my, my other son, my youngest son, which at the time we can see wasn't of age yet. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell her, right? Hey, just go back to your father's house and wait. Just wait for Shella to grow up, and then you can marry him, and then, you know, continue the bloodline, whatever. But Judah by now is probably skeptical. He's like, I can't let him marry this woman. Like, what is going on? And so we have here Judah's lie. He lies to Tamar because he doesn't want to lose another son. He already knows what it's like to lose two sons plus a brother that he had, um, he was an accomplice to losing that brother. I mean, he's, he was the one that said, hey, let's sell him instead. So we have Judah, you know, wanting to um, keep his son and not lose him because of what he thought was probably a curse from Tamar. And we have Tamar, on the other hand, who was probably like, you know, she's probably thinking, like, what is, what is happening? Like, am I the problem? Like, I had my first husband who, yeah, I guess he wasn't so good. And then he died. Then I had my second husband who, well, actually, he wasn't that very good either. He also died. But at the same time, all of these other women are probably getting married and having children, but I'm not. What is happening, right? And so um, Tamar, I guess, being uh, the obedient woman she was, she said, okay, I'll go back to my father's home and live as a widow until your son gets of age, right? Until your son gets of age, I will wait. And Judah's like, okay, perfect, fine. But in, uh, in verse 11, we, we read, that, and it says, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. Now, this is the part that I want to sort of emphasize. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. So we clearly see Judah didn't say this only because Shelah wasn't of age. He, did, he just didn't want his son to die, which is understandable, right? Like, as a, I'm not a parent, but as a parent, you wouldn't want anything bad to happen to your kids. And so I guess he has a, a justified reason. Like, I don't want my son to die. But they're not really justified because why are they dying? Because of the influence that he brought upon his kids, that he showed them, I guess. He married a Canaanite woman. He probably didn't follow God's will either in his life. Um, and so we see that Tamar leaves. And at, you know, in those days, I'm assuming that being a widow was not the most, uh, like, I guess, looked upon thing. I don't think any young girl at the time said, I want to be a widow when I grow up. Um, it was shameful. It was very hard. Um, and so Tamar has to deal with this for years, you know, waiting for Shella to grow up, or so she thought. And she thought this because of the lie that Judah had told her. So now we have a Judah that's willing to sell his brother, a Judah that adopts pagan culture, a Judah that lies 
Where's the praise? Again, I, when I first read that his name meant praise, I was like, what on earth? You're like, really? Usually they'd have a son or a daughter that, you know, had a sort of significant meaning. I don't see any praise. But um, on we go. And so uh, Judah, with time, I guess, we keep reading lower down, and it says that his wife dies, right? Um, he loses his wife, and so he goes through this period of grief. Uh, but once he's done grieving, once he's done uh, feeling, I guess, sad for his wife's death, um, he decides to travel to a place called uh, Timnah because I guess he had to go shear his sheep or something. And so he goes to this place, and on his way there, years later, um, from the promise that Judah had given Tamar, Tamar hears that Judah is on his way to Timnah. And I'm assuming that where Tamar lived and Timnah was probably somewhere nearby, somewhere close. So Tamar hears that Judah's on his way, and she says, all right, I'm going to take matters into my own hands, right? It's been years. I know the son is old enough, but where is he, right? He's, I, I haven't heard anything. The one thing I know is that he's headed to Timnah, and I'm going to meet him there. So she takes off her widow's clothes, and she um, covers herself, right, from head to toe, I'm assuming, covering her face to not reveal who she is. She goes to Timnah and waits at the, at the gate. She waits for Judah, and when Judah gets there, um, he sees her and is like, uh, what does he say? When Judah, in verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face, right, so she couldn't be recognized. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked, right? So Tamar knows what she's doing. She's waiting at this gate because not only does she want children, but I found something very interesting. Um, because I think that not only did Tamar just want children, right? Like, obviously, as a, as a woman, you want to bear kids and, you know, have a family. But not only does she want children, but I believe that Tamar took matters into her own hands because maybe she understood the lineage of family, you know, the family that she was going to have these children with, right? So these children, these children of God, these children of Israel, um, are descendants of Abraham. And so um, being so important, right, these travelers who have, you know, you, you hear about them all the time, She's probably like, like, there's something about this family. This, like, I, maybe, maybe I'm not a believer in God. Maybe, you know, I don't believe in God, right? She could have said this. But some, something, is, something is happening here. Maybe there's a reason why all of this has been happening to me. Maybe there's a reason why I've had to wait years. And so I feel like in this moment, we see a very clear picture that Tamar, being a Canaanite woman, seems to have more faith and more of an understanding of the plan God has more than Judah. Because up to now, Judah has not showed any good, you know, any, any good signs of it. And so, <clears throat> back to the story, she waits at the gate, uh, Judah meets her, and then 
Um, Tamar, being the smart woman she is, at the end of uh, verse 16, and says, and what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. And then uh, Judah makes her a promise, right? I will give you this young goat, this kid, and uh, yeah, right? But Tamar's smarter than that. She says, no, 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 no. I, I, need, I need like a promise, right? Or a promise that you're going to at least give me this goat. Because a goat, really? But I was just, promise me that you'll give me the goat. And then he's like, Judah says, all right, what do you want? And Tamar tells him, I want the, your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. So one, we have his seal, right? The thing that sort of identifies him, right? That this is his family, his family seal. His cord that I guess he carries around with him to sort of be recognized, right, as well. And the staff, which he used to lead his sheep. So these are three pretty important things, I would assume, right? I'm no theologian, but I would assume these three things mean a lot, right? And she's asking for all of these three things as a promise that she will receive her goat. But she doesn't do this just because she wants to have something, like, fancy, right, from somebody. She does this because um, as... We see later on when Judah, um, finally, I guess, he sleeps with her, and then they part ways. Judah goes to her home. I mean, yeah, Judah goes to his destination. Tamar goes home. We see that it says three months later, Judah is told that Tamar is pregnant. And they tell Judah that it's because she is guilty of prostitution, and now she's pregnant. Now, the thing is, sure, you could assume that she was, but Judah had no idea how it came to be, right? Judah thinks it was just some woman that he found on the road, which they never saw again, by the way, because when he sent his servant or his friend back to give her the goat, she wasn't there. She was gone. And so Judah's like, all right, you know what? Stop searching for her. This is going to be embarrassing. Don't, just don't do it. And so when he finds out that she's pregnant, he's like, I want her brought here so that I can kill her. Is basically what he says. He says, bring her out and have her burned to death. And so now it's like Judah, Judah's finally, actually not finally, he's now um, acting upon what usually you would assume he would have done earlier, right? He's acting upon the sin of someone else. He's, he's, he's judging them. He's saying, oh, she's guilty of prostitution? Have her killed immediately, like now. Bring her here. I want to do it personally, right? Because there's no, no way that she, me sending her away and she did something like that. But in, his moment, in, in this time, I think he was sort of clouded by the idea that he lied to her. He didn't give her his son. He, he had lied, as I mentioned earlier. He lied he, he had schemed um, to kill their brother, uh, his brother. And so he's finally acting upon all of these, this, this, this sin that Tamar had uh, apparently been accused of, not realizing of his, own, of his own sin that he had been carrying with him all this time, and he hadn't realized it. And so uh, Judah's wish is, I guess, uh, 
accepted and taken seriously. And so they bring Tamar, right? They go and fetch Tamar, they bring her. And on the way there, uh, Tamar uh, sends, I guess, a message to Judah saying, um, do you recognize this staff, this seal, and this cord? And so when, when, I'm assuming that when she got there, she showed them to him. In the midst of Judah probably screaming at her and being like, why did you do this? What is wrong with you, right? He was probably like super angry, like, I promised you my son, and you're going to do this to my family, really? But I can just imagine, like in my head, when I was reading this story, I imagined Tamar, maybe, maybe she had like a big coat on or something or behind her back. She probably put out these items, and without saying a word, she, she put them out and just laid them there. Now, what do you think is going through Judah's head? Like, at first, maybe when she went to pull these things out, he was probably like, what is she doing? Right? Like, does she not know the, 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 the situation she's in right now? She's going to die. But as soon as she pulls out these items, I can imagine Judah just completely going blank. Judah in his mind is like, that's my seal, that's my cord, and that's my staff. And at first, maybe it was like, well, like, what is she doing with them? But then finally, it clicks. And finally, he realized that his sin was a lot greater than the one thing that she had done, the one thing that is mentioned in the Bible that she had done. Because this whole time, he had lied to her, right? And so... Judah finally reaches like a, a, just like a changing, a turning point in his life where he realizes that maybe I'm the bad one in this story. And, and we see that in, in verse 26 where it says, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. So from here we see that he um, sort of comes back to his senses and after getting Tamar pregnant. He, he never uh, sleeps with her again. But we see here that now we have a change, Judah. It doesn't specifically say in this end of the chapter um, what his life was like. But clearly there was a difference made. Because uh, jumping a little bit ahead to Joseph's story when he is now uh, you know, this, this big guy in Egypt, He's the head of whatever it was. And so his family shows up, or the brothers show up to Egypt, and they need food. So now we see Joseph and the brothers in a completely different situation. Because at first it was the brothers tossing him in a pit and selling him as a slave. Now he's way above them, right? And so um, uh, the point I want to get to is Judah finally, having now finally understood his mistake and his sin, uh, it can be clearly seen when it is mentioned that J Joseph had asked for Benjamin to be brought along with them. And so Benjamin was like, you know, his, his father's, like, like the baby, right? He, he was born way after the rest, so he was this baby of the family. Maybe he wasn't a baby at the time, but he was like, he was the, the small one, right? Everybody had to take care of him because of what they had first done to Joseph. They said, my father is in, was in absolute agony, right, when Joseph disappeared, disappeared. And now we have Benjamin. Uh, we can't, 
you know, we can't let our father die like this. We have to take care of him. So they take Benjamin, and um, in, in the story, it goes that as they were there, when they were leaving, actually, uh, Joseph um, plants the, the cup and whatever in their, in their bags that they were taking. And when he calls him back, like, who stole my cup? It was in Benjamin's bag. And when they realize this, Judah says, no, um, sir, whatever he called him, please let him go. Please, I beg you, I cannot let my father die like this. If he sees that we return without Benjamin, he, he will die of just of pain. I can't see that. Like, I, I can't bear that responsibility. Because in, uh, earlier when Judah had been talking to his father, he, he had told him, I will become, you know, I will protect him, right? I will protect Benjamin. I will keep him safe, and I will bring him back to you. I promise. But we have to take him. And so in this moment, when we see that Benjamin is being held back by Joseph, Judah steps up and says, please, don't, don't, don't let this happen, you know? And so we see here that clearly um, Judah became surety, as it says, for Benjamin. So basically Judah was this protector now, right? At first, being the one that sold Joseph, out of their family, now he's the one that can't let someone be, be sold out of their family. Now he wants to keep Benjamin in. And so clearly we see a change from the time when he had this encounter with Tamar and before that until now. He's clearly changed. And we also see this again in uh, Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12, which I want to I go there and read them for you. Because I, I find this to be, inc- like, completely incredible. Um, I said, Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12, and it says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down, like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be this. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darkened in wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So here what we have in this chapter 49 is Jacob blessing his children as he's now about to die. And out of all the blessings that he gives, I find the one for Judah to be, you know, incredibly more, like, f- fulfilling, more, more, you know, just overall just good. Because he could have given this great blessing to Reuben. Because when the brothers decided to kill Joseph, uh, Reuben was like, no, no, just throw him in this pit, right? With the intention of coming back later, picking him out of the pit and saving him. But Reuben didn't receive this blessing, what we see here is Judah being told that, um, what, what did he say here? He says, uh, his brothers, your brothers will praise you, right? When at, first, when at first it seems like Judah was this guy who had nothing good going for him because of his own decisions, 
Now he's praised, or he will be praised. So finally, we see this idea of Judah and praise. Do they correlate? Yes. Now they do. Because Judah, Judah changed, right? He had committed all of these sins, all of these things which one could say, there's nothing good in that guy. Like, really? I, I'm, I'm looking at this story, and when I did look at the story, I was like, what, what, what happened to him, right? Where did this idea of the tribe of Judah come from? Where did this idea of the line of Judah come from? Well, we see here that Judah is a changed man. He's someone who is honorable because of his decision to admit his wrongs and change. And one very important point that I sort of, you know, it, it, really, it really touched me when I read it was where in verse, verse 9, the first words it says, you are a lion's cub, Judah. And the reason it touched me so much was because Jesus in Revelation 5, 5 is called what? If someone could look that up for me and just say it. Revelation 5, verse 5. Here we see in, in verse 9, Judah's called the lion's cub. And in Revelation, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So now we have this correlation between Judah and Jesus. Right? Judah and Jesus. What, what, what's, the, what's the similarity there? What, what connects them? Well, what I found to be super interesting, or the, the point that I just want to get across real quick, is that Judah is called the lion's cub. Jesus is the lion. What, what, uh, what connection is there? A father and a son, right? Judah, after all of his mistakes, after all of his wrongs, he is called a son of God. He is no longer the liar. He's no longer the, the, the murderer at first. He's now a son of God because of his changed actions and his, his decision to make that turning point in his life. So seeing that uh, Judah is now called the son of God, regardless of everything that he did in his life, what does that make us? As Naomi read earlier, in Romans 3.23 and verse 24, I know we've all made mistakes. I know I have. And I know you have because it says it in the Bible. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? All of us. There's, there is no exception. When we're born into this earth, that's what we come to. It's just a world of sin. But the part that, usually we, that we usually skip, I guess, or don't mention as much is this next verse where it says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So just like Judah, who did all of these things, right, who seemed to be so far away from God, so far away from the plan that God had had for him, he comes back, is called the Son of God because of the grace that Jesus gives us. And the interesting thing is that this grace wasn't only given to us at the cross. This has happened throughout all of time, right? Jesus comes and dies on the cross for us, right? But he also dies for those before. He died to give them salvation, to give them eternal life if they chose it. And so 
clearly, even though we all have sins that we've committed, we're never too far gone for God's grace and mercy. He will always reach us, no matter how deep in a pit we, will, we might be. He will always reach his hand out, and if we're willing to take it, he's going to take us in. And uh, finally, just like how Judah, with all of his mistakes, all of his wrongs, he was part of Jesus' genealogy, right? This, this genealogy of, of just full of different kinds of people. We have people like Boaz, who, I mean, was an honorable man. But we have people like Judah who committed all of these things, and yet it's still mentioned. It's so important because us as human beings, we make mistakes, as I mentioned earlier, as the Bible says, we've all sinned. But we can also be a part of that story. That story that has carried on throughout creation and will continue happening until Jesus comes back. We can all be a part of that story, but there has to be a change. Like Judah, there has to be a change in our, in our minds and in our hearts to accept our wrongs, accept that we have wronged, and take Jesus in. Because, it, I mean, God, God, God's gift of eternal life is exactly that. It's a gift. It's not forced upon us. We have to accept it. And so um, yeah, our theme throughout the school year has been revive the story and your part in it, which basically talks about reviving the story that, as I mentioned, had begun with creation or began with creation or even before that and is still happening. <clears throat> we can revive that in our, in our lives. We can be a part of that story, like Judah is part of Jesus' Uh, genealogy. We can be a part of that story regardless of our wrongs, regardless of our mistakes, because God is willing to accept anybody who decides to accept Jesus into their hearts. So with that being said, I just want to have a closing word of prayer so we can all um, accept this gift and realize that we're never too far gone for God. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to listen to your word and to take in what it is that you have to say to us. We thank you for the promises that you leave in the Bible for us that tell us that you love us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, we ask now that you may be with each and every person in this room, that we may be willing to accept your gift of eternal life because we love you, Lord, and we want to be with you in heaven. So please help the Holy Spirit to just come upon us and help us realize that even though, yes, we've made mistakes, yes, we've done wrong, maybe to other people, that even though we aren't perfect, that we've sinned, that you're always willing to take us in, that your grace is never that it will never fall short of our mistakes. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.